Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and I'm really happy to be here with you today. We've got a great show in store for you as we continue to process all the upheaval that's taken place over the last couple of weeks, and as we step into a new season here in the U.S. with a different president. I wanted to have conversations with friends who hold differing perspectives politically just to help us understand each other better and to talk about how we move forward after yesterday's inauguration. You'll hear Michael say this, let's give each other a chance. And so my ask of you today (laughs) is that you will give each other a chance, give both of these friends of the show a chance. It's a really unique and really important episode for you today where I talk with Allie Beth Stuckey and Michael Ware. Allie Beth is the host of the podcast Relatable, where she breaks down the latest in culture, news, and politics from a Christian conservative perspective. She's a frequent guest on Fox News, on The Ben Shapiro Show, Blaze TV, and more. Her debut book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, released in the summer of 2020. Today, she's a podcast host, a writer, and she speaks to colleges, organizations, all about the importance of conservative values. Y'all know and love Michael Ware. He's been on the show a couple of times. Remember, he served in the White House Faith-Based Initiative during President Obama's first term, where he led the evangelical outreach and helped manage the White House's engagement on religious and value issues, including adoption and anti-human trafficking efforts. And he's the founder of Public Square Strategies, which really helps religious organizations, political organizations, and businesses kind of navigate what's going on in American religious and the political landscape. He is the author of Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. Both of these friends have really interesting and important things for us to say. So let's give each other a chance. And here is my conversation with Allie Beth Stuckey. Allie Beth, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to get to chat with you. We don't often get uh, loud political voices on my show. It's just not kind of what we talk about. But I figure this is Inauguration Week that this is releasing. And I do also want to tell people listening, we recorded this the week before because we just don't know what's going to happen in the world (laughs) between now and when it releases. When you think about the week that people went into the Capitol, and where we've been since then, you're a strong conservative Christian voice. What are some of the things going on in your head? Yeah, so I was just like everyone else, probably left or right. I was watching what was happening with just, I I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe that something like this was happening in the United States. You know, I knew that a lot of people were frustrated, obviously, by the results of the election. It didn't go how they wanted it to go. And I also knew that people uh, felt like they were disenfranchised and felt like it was a fraudulent election. Now, that was an idea that was perpetuated quite continuously by the president of the United States. And so you can kind of see how if you truly believed that, 
you would be frustrated, maybe even to the point if you already have the propensity towards this kind of thing, mm-hmm. towards uh, some kind of revolution. And then, of course, the president and his rally and his speech basically said, we're going to march on the Capitol. He didn't explicitly say anything about violence, but people took it to the next level because they felt that their votes actually didn't count. Now, I've talked about on my podcast a lot how there were some voting irregularities. And in Pennsylvania, for example, the officials didn't actually follow election law. Um, But in my opinion, there's, you know, obviously a lot of debate on this. I've been clear with my followers. There is not evidence of enough fraud to change the results of the election. A lot of people, for example, were very frustrated with uh, the results in Georgia, saying there's no way that Georgia could be a blue state. And again, I I understand that as someone who lived in Georgia, my husband is from Georgia. There's a lot of conservative parts of Georgia, but I was there just a few weeks before the election and we really felt that it was going to go blue talking to people and seeing the signs that, that were out. And so I unfortunately think that some people, not everyone, but some people were misled. And uh, because of that very sincere and genuine belief that people had that they were being something was being stolen from them. Um, Some people reacted in a way that they saw as revolutionary that I saw as delinquent and criminal and embarrassing and shameful and sad, so sad to the point of tears. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't hold it together because I love this country so much. And I couldn't believe that something like that was happening. And so that's how I feel. I think that's how a lot of people feel. I know some conservatives listening to this are going to disagree with me about, you know, the stuff about the fraud. And as someone who believes in so many of the policies that President Trump did champion over the past four years, I just, uh, you know, I've always had trouble with his with his rhetoric, thinking that it's unnecessarily pot stirring. And I especially thought that over the past couple months. And that's not to say that we ignore real proof of of fraud or real concerns with that. But the ironic thing is, and I know I'm kind of ranting, so please stop me at any point. The ironic thing is with the storming of the Capitol is that if people hadn't stormed the Capitol, there were lawmakers who would have lawfully and peacefully who were planning on laying out the case for for fraud. And then we we didn't get to hear that. And now Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily agree with Holly and Cruz who were going to do that. I actually thought, you know, the electors have spoken, the courts have spoken. They, you know, exhausted their legal resources to try to prove the fraud and the electors spoke. And it's Mm -hmm. the job of Congress, in in my opinion, to say, this is what the electors said, not to try to subvert the will of the electors. Um, And so I actually didn't agree with Cruz and Holly in this case, but they still would have been able to lay out that case. But now we don't get to hear it. Now, now we don't get to hear that case. All the people who felt disenfranchised storming through the Capitol to try to make their point known. Well, now your point is never going to be known. So anyway, that's what I thought about it. I thought it was counterproductive. Um, I thought that it was sad and, and disheartening. There are a lot of feelings I have about what's happened since then, but I'll let you kind of leave the, the, the conversation where you where you want it to go. You're very kind. Thank you. <laughs> but I also, you are absolutely allowed to be Allie Beth on the show. We are never, I'm never going to invite a guest on that doesn't get to be their full selves. So you also can say what you would like to say. Um, I, I think one of my big worries, and we're one of the reasons we're doing this show this way is I want 
listeners on both sides to hear both si- a, a voice from both sides. So some of our friends listening, the problem is there's conspiracy theories that get stacked on top of conservatism. And so it sometimes it feels like being a conservative that the baby gets tossed out with the bathwater of like, if you're conservative, then you think these wild things. And so yeah. it's either... If you're a Christian conservative, then you're way over here versus the idea that the majority of conservatives that are believers don't are, are where you and I are on that that was bad behavior. Yeah. And, and, and so how do we separate conspiracy theories? How do we separate out conspiracy theories? Full stop. How do we know? Yeah. And this does exist on the left. Now, of course, they're not seen as conspiracy theories. For example, there were a lot of allegations towards President Trump that didn't prove true. I mean, from the very beginning, we heard that President Trump was an illegitimate president and that Russia stole the election, colluded with the Trump campaign and the Trump team to make that happen. There was no evidence of that. That's not to say there was no wrongdoing whatsoever, but we spent millions of dollars uh, of taxpayer dollars into an investigation in that. And we heard over and over again from the liberal media, this is the beginning of the end for Trump. The walls are closing Mm -hmm. in. That was a conspiracy theory. Not to say again that there was, you know, maybe no reason for some people to think some things, but that was a conspiracy theory too. But that scene is totally legitimate because we have a predominantly liberal media. Now, there are conspiracy theories on the right. The QAnon thing is a conspiracy theory. Some things, unfortunately, surrounding the events of a couple weeks ago were founded on conspiracy theories, especially with the censorship that happened to conservative social media after uh, after the whole storming the Capitol, there were a ton of conspiracy theories that came up that said we're going to go, you know, we're going to go into martial law. There's going to be this great blackout and disinformation divides. And so, something that I was telling the conservatives that listened to me is that as conservatives kind of siphon off into our now we're in we're kind of some conservatives are forced into other platforms because they're afraid of being censored on Instagram or Twitter or something mm-hmm. like that. There is going to be disinformation, people who capitalize on the fear that conservatives have of being censored mm-hmm. and of, you know, being deplatformed or something like that. And they are going to play upon your fears with disinformation, with misinformation, with propaganda. There are going to be people who prophesy. I don't know if you've come into contact with some of this, but for the past few months, I've seen so-called Christian, I mean, identifying Christians prophesy that President Trump is going to win in a landslide. There are people to this day who are prophesying that Trump is still going to be president somehow and that this is all part of some grand dark plan that we can't really see this 40 chess. And so, yes. And and it's funny because you and I, of course, I mean, we kind of maybe even laugh at that or scoff at that and think we would never believe those kind of prophecies or conspiracy theories. But there are people who identify as Christians who are so hungry for an alternative narrative because they look at the liberal media and they say and feel rightly a lot of times that you're not telling me the whole truth. There's something else here and you're only showing me the negative parts of Trump or you're only showing me one side of this issue and I'm desperate to know what is really happening. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately they turn to these to people, to outlets who say, oh, I have the real truth. It's really kind of a form of Gnosticism. Like I have the real theory of like, the special knowledge of what's going on. And people are so hungry for knowledge. People are also so hungry to feel that, okay, yes, chaos is waging all around, but really there's this secret thing going on that is keeping it all together. It's almost like this psychological thing in our mind that we can't, 
we can't reconcile with the fact that actually things are chaotic and not together. We want to yes. believe that actually some people want to believe actually President Trump is in control or whatever it is. And so I think, you know, what I tell people is, is one, not to seek forms of Gnosticism, not to seek a special knowledge that is going to give peace to your heart, because we already have the real special knowledge in that, yes, that there is an underlying narrative. There is an an alternate or not an alternate reality, but a real reality. And that is God's eternal plan of redemption is that we get to look at scripture and we get to say, okay, you know what? Chaos is waging all around. I don't know what's happening in the government. I don't know what's really true in the news, but I know that this is true. Mm -hmm. I know that God is sovereign and I know that he is still in control, that he is not taken aback, that he's not surprised, that he is not trying to wade through conspiracy theories or find out what is true, that he is true. And that is what we should cling to. We shouldn't be going to these you know, to all of these different people who claim to have opposing prophecies and opposing yeah. narratives and things like that, because we will drive ourselves crazy. We will. And so I don't know if that answers your question, because I could go through every single theory that's out there and say, okay, this could possibly be true, but this mm-hmm. probably isn't true. And then also you worry about, okay, is everything going to be called a conspiracy theory that is different than what the mainstream media says? Because right. that's not good either. That's right. not good either. So I think that all we all we can do is pray to the Lord for discernment, pray for wisdom, to ask really wise questions. Like, what is the what's the source of this? I've I've seen a lot of videos. I just watched a video that went viral on Facebook. A pastor who says he has multiple connections within the government, who says things are about to shut down and that Trump is, you know, he's really pulling people together and emptying the deep state and draining the swamp. Okay, a good question for us to ask would be who is this person? Why do I believe them? Mm-hmm. Like, do they have any credibility? Why aren't they telling me their sources? Mm-hmm. And so I think if we ask those discerning questions and say, okay, does this sound true at all? Is there any reasonability to this? Do I know the sources uh, that this is coming from? I think that that will help us in distinguishing a truth from a lie. It shouldn't scare us from looking into questions and looking into you know, alternate narratives. We shouldn't just believe everything we hear from the mainstream media either. But I think we have to be slow to believe everything we hear, unfortunately. And I tell people that who listen to my podcast, please fact check me. Don't let me be your only source of information. Um, I love that you say that, by the way. I've heard you say that on your show. And I always think, man, that there are a couple of times I've, especially in the last month, whereas I've listened, I've thought, my girl, Allie Beth, she is giving us not only like, go and go check my facts. But sometimes you push on your guests too. And you go, how do you know? How do you know that? So I, I really appreciate that as someone who's learning from a lot of different voices that, that actually leads me, you know, our friends sent in some questions for you through our AFD week in review on Fridays. And someone asked, what are some reputable fact-based unbiased resources? Is that even possible? I know people ask me that a lot and I I can't tell you probably any one outlet that is without bias. That's why I look at a lot of different outlets. I am a conservative, but I will read the New York Times. I'll read the Washington Post. They have a liberal leaning in almost every story that they tell. Mm -hmm. And if there is a story that doesn't have a liberal leaning, then I'm like, okay, this really must be true because they couldn't find a liberal spin on this. But I'll also read National Review. National Review has more conservative leanings. They're not super pro-Trump, but they're a conservative leaning outlet. I watch Fox News. I, To be honest, I don't really watch other 
I don't really watch cable news at all in yeah. general, but I'll be honest, I'm I'm not like a, a regular uh, viewer of CNN or yeah. MSNBC. <laughs> but when I when I'm reading and researching, I do try to get um, as many sources as possible. And I know that's exhaustive. I mean, that's part of the problem is that most people don't want to go to multiple sources for their information. But actually, I think that we have to do that. Like Mm -hmm. if I see a headline in the New York Times that I'm like, wow, that sounds really bad, whatever it is. Well, I need to go to National Review or I need to go to Wall Street Journal. I need to go to another outlet to see if maybe there's another side uh, to that story and try to, especially if it's about legislation or if it's about a court case, you can always see the original documentation for a court decision or a bill that's being passed uh, in Congress. And so I try my best to go to those primary sources when I can. Yeah, I think that's so why a couple of months ago, I realized probably during the election. So six months ago, maybe I realized that all the voices on Twitter that I was following all were saying the same thing. I was like, wait, I'm not hearing the other side at all. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. If you're only hearing, if everybody you're listening to agrees with you, you you need to expand the news you're taking in. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. Now that gets really difficult when it seems like both sides are talking past each other. When I, and I am absolutely sure there are people on the left who feel like this about people on the right, but often as someone who is on the right, when I see people on the left talking about people on the right, I'm like, that is a complete caricature Mm. of conservatism. That's not what I believe at all. Or people who after the Capitol storming saying, everyone who voted for Trump is complicit in this or every Republican is complicit in this. And I'm like, but you didn't say anything about the violence that's been happening in America's cities for the past six months. Mm -hmm. And so then you just end up in this battle, in this ideological battle, in this rhetorical battle. And I think that's, you know, that's a, that's a big problem probably on both sides is the mischaracterization, the lumping in. And I understand it's easier to do that. I've done that. Say leftists believe this or leftism is this. Um, but I think that it can be very frustrating when you feel like you're constantly mischaracterized yeah. by the other side. And you feel like I don't even have a, a way to engage with people who disagree with me on this, you know. Right. Hey friends, taking a short break from this conversation to give a shout out to our amazing partners, Raycon. Raycon is a brand co-founded by Ray J. It aims to empower go-getters around the world. That's you, my friends, by creating the next wave in wireless audio technology that doesn't break the bank, y'all. These Raycon earbuds are a game changer. For listening to all your Marco Polos or your podcasts, to use during those Zoom calls for work or for hands-free phone calls to stay connected to your people while you're driving or making dinner, they are just the best. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. I do not know what I would do without mine. I They are so comfortable. They have different size options of the little silicone earpieces, so you get a really good fit. And the battery lasts for what feels like forever. It's like six full hours of listening time. I go so long before I have to charge mine. They have tons of colors. Mine are rose gold. Of course they are. But with the variety of it, you'll find your favorite color too. They pair really easily with my phone. I don't even have to think about it. Within seconds, I hear 
Bluetooth paired successfully. And the sound quality is excellent. Here we are at the beginning of the year and looking to keep up good rhythms. And your Raycon Everyday E25s are the perfect companion for your walks in the neighborhood or following along to the directions on your favorite recipe in the kitchen because, you know, hashtag food blogger and all. They're sweat and water resistant and have a really compact design. And the case is just the cutest. Go to buyraycon.com slash that sounds fun to get 15% off your order. Again, that's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash that sounds fun. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of the other premium wireless earbud brands, and they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands. You will not regret it. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash that sounds fun for 15% off your order. And now back to our conversation with Ali Beth. So that leads me to one of my big questions that I want us to talk about for this show uh, with you and with Michael Ware is how do we have conversations now? How for our friends who are conservative, they do not have the House, the Senate or the White House. And and it feels they feel some of us feel deceived. Some of us feel confused some of our of our on left and the right that are listening feel really disenfranchised and unhappy how do we how do we have these conversations in our community in our families my gracious how do we do this so i do think people need to understand that the disagreements that we have, not necessarily between Republicans and Democrats, but between the left and the right, if you're talking about true leftists and true conservatives, the disagreements that we have are very fundamental in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. They are, what is truth? Where does truth come from? Who gives us our rights? Is it God or government? What are rights versus privileges? What is a man? What is a woman? What is God's role in all of this? Uh, when does life begin? Like these are very fundamental, basic moral questions that the left yeah. and the right, because we hold to two philosoph- two different philosophies and two different worldviews, we're going to have a very hard time reconciling. So I try to say when people are talking to someone with whom they disagree, or maybe they see a friend share something they disagree with on social media is to start by asking questions because I think because we have such disparate worldviews sometimes on the right and the left, we are using the same words without uh, without agreeing on the definition. So we mm. might, both sides might say that we care about justice. Both sides say we care about honesty. Both side, we, sides say that we care about fairness. We care about the least of these. We care about the vulnerable. We want to lift up the oppressed, but we mean totally different things when we're talking about this. Wow. Uh, we mean different things when we're talking about racism, when we're talking about discrimination, we have very different understandings of what these things are. And as long as we keep using these terms without ever stopping to clarify, what do you mean by that? Mm. Then we're just going to keep on talking over each other. And so if someone says something about, you know, anything, I I don't even know what it is, uh, women's rights or feminism or something like that, that you as a conservative disagree with, I think it's important to just ask, well, what what do you mean by women's rights? Or what do you mean by reproductive freedom? Or what do you mean by systemic racism? Where do you see that happening? And ask those questions of what do you mean by X? And until until you can get to the point to where you and the other person can agree on what each term means, I wouldn't even move forward in an argument because that means that your disagreements are probably too fundamental. Now, if it's a good friend and they're willing to engage with you on this, 
and you can't agree on the terms, then I would say, hey, I would love to read some of the resources that you have on that. Would you be willing to also listen and read to some things that I have that are sharing my side? Because we probably agree on some mm-hmm. things, but I think we also really disagree on some other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people, I think, for conservatives in the next few weeks that are telling you that if you are a conservative or if you voted for Donald Trump, that you are complicit in what happened at the Capitol. And they are going to sh- try to shame you out of those views and say that you are just as complicit in inciting violence as anyone who voted for Donald Trump. And I think that the propensity for people will be to retreat and to be scared to talk about their views and to speak up because they don't want to be linked to that, rightfully so. I don't want to be linked to that either. But I don't think that that is the way to go. That's the way to reconciliation if we truly do want peace and unity, which a lot of people say that they do, and I'm not so sure if that's really Mm -hmm. what they desire. Then you retreating into your corner and pretending like you don't believe what you believe and being unequipped to have those conversations, that's that's not the way to go. I mean, the right has to be pushed back on in a healthy way by the left. The left has to be pushed back on in a healthy way by the right, especially mm-hmm. I think since they are in charge of so many uh, parts of our government, the way that the right kind of was over the past four years. Um, if we cannot have those intellectual debates, those moral debates, without just saying, hey, I think that you're an awful person and I actually, I think that you're a fascist Nazi and you shouldn't have a platform because you believe in smaller government and you voted for Donald Trump, then there is no way, there's no way to move forward. And just to Mm -hmm. like, for the people on the other side who are listening to this, just understand that, and I'm sure there's so many things that people on the left listening could tell me about how they feel about the right too. And I totally understand that. But Mm -hmm. speaking as a conservative, a lot of people on the right feel that they cannot hold the values that they do without being told that they are a racist, that they're a Nazi, that they're a fascist, that uh, they incited terrorism a couple weeks ago, and that they're not a good Christian. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure, like I said, some people on the left maybe feel the same way, but we have got to separate disagreement from hate. That if someone disagrees Mm -hmm. with you, it does not mean that they hate you. doesn't mean that they're a bad person. And if we're starting from there and we're starting from a point of clarity and we're starting from a point of curiosity, I do think it's possible to come together, maybe never, maybe never agree. Maybe we'll never agree, but just to be able to say, okay, I I don't, I don't agree with you, but thank you for telling me. And I want to coexist in a society with you. Yes. Um, I mean, if we just get there, like, I just want to coexist with you. We don't even have to like each other. I think that would be a step up from where we are now. Yes. I mean, and I think those two words, I just wrote them down, clarity and curiosity. I feel like that could take us so far if we would hold on to those and say, okay, just, just tell me more about where you stand. And let, let me add a third C because I really yeah. like alliteration. Okay, so, good. Uh, clarity and curiosity without compromise. Mm. Now, let me add a fourth C. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so clarity, clarity and curiosity without compromise, but confession when maybe, or correction or confession, another C, when you realize that maybe you were wrong. So I think that you can seek clarity. You can be curious in a conversation and get out of your mind that, Peace or reconciliation means agreement because it doesn't necessarily, you might not agree with that person. You could still be at peace with that person and tolerate that person. Don't think that you have to agree with them if you don't really agree with them. But if they have proven you wrong and you realize 
for without a shadow of a doubt that, okay, what they're saying is true and I was wrong, be willing. I think we all should be willing to be corrected Mm -hmm. and confess that error uh, when we're there. So I think probably humility all around will really help us in those conversations. Beth Moore said it the other day on Twitter. I'm not going to quote her exactly right, but she said something like, we have to give each other permission to learn. Because what we've we've said, if you said something one time and then you read four books and say and say something different, you're not allowed to. It's like, no, what if we just let each other learn and grow and change? And it feels like uh, particularly when it comes to political ideology, we aren't allowed to do that. Quote, quote. Yeah, I agree with that. And obviously, sometimes things don't change. Change Mm -hmm. isn't always an indication of growth. I think that's important to realize um, that change can be an indication of compromise. And so I think that, uh, I mean, I think that we have to be careful where we're getting our wisdom and what is inspiring our change. Um, Because if our change is sanctification, that's a wonderful, beautiful, miraculous, gracious thing. If our change is a a knowledge of the truth and conforming ourselves to Christ, then that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. If our change is that we're tired of pushing against the culture when it comes to unpopular topics, Mm. well, then that's not good. That's it's change, but it's not compromise. So yes, I think we need to be gracious with one another and changing our minds on certain things. And we also need to hold each other accountable that some things don't change. And that means our minds also don't change on that. And there's, you know, there's plenty of debate and what is changeable and what's movable and what's not. Um, Um, but I, I do think it's important as much as we allow grace for each other to change. We also, uh, through grace, hold each other accountable to stand strong on the things that don't. Yeah, that's great. How are you okay when people are so mean to you on the internet? Yeah, I guess you probably don't get this as much because you don't talk Uh, about polarizing things. Um, you know, I just, I think, well, obviously it helps that I know, who I am in Christ. And I feel like for now, this is what I'm called to do. A lot of people ask me, how does this not wear on you? How are you not just depressed day after day? And it's because I get, I actually get energy from all of this. I love it. I mean, I have, I also am able to unplug. I have a wonderful family that reminds me who I am and what is important. And I truly know that it, at any moment, if God called me to something else, or if this just wasn't working out anymore, that I wouldn't do it and I would be okay. So I think not having your identity and your worth coming from the platform that you have, that Say I'm that. sure is something that you relate to. Yep. Um, I think that that helps a lot. Now, that's not to say that my feelings don't get hurt sometimes. Yeah. It depends on what people say and who it's coming from and yeah. why they're saying it. Um, but, you know, Eventually, I think in the beginning it hurt a lot more, but eventually it's just so frequent that you just kind of have to roll your eyes and move on. Like, you know, if if I couldn't stand it, if I internalized and and made personal every mean thing that someone said to me, I definitely I wouldn't be doing this anymore because I don't think we have the emotional capacity for it, any human. Yeah. But um sadly or happily, I'm not really sure you do get used to it. And it just kind of um, eventually rolls rolls off. And a lot of the negative, yeah. I, I imagine this is true for you too. A lot of the negative feedback I get kind of ends up falling into two categories. And eventually you're like, yeah, I know. I know that there are yeah. people who feel that. Okay. I'm sorry I made you feel that too, or you chose to feel that, but you're in one of the two categories of, yeah. of complaints about me. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah. And you just, and you know, obviously you take things to heart that need to be taken to heart. That's right. You're hearing something consistent from people that you trust and, and that like your podcast that, oh, you keep saying this or you're doing this and this is, or this is not biblical or something that you said is untrue. Then obviously I don't just say, oh, I'm not, I'm going to ignore all criticism. Sure. I do try to be discerning and listen when people are telling me, okay, this is wrong or this is not good that what you're doing. But you know, when people just name call or when people say something that's not true, I, the, the probably the most frustrating thing is when I get a review or something of someone that says something that is just not, I didn't say it. Like yeah. it's just not true. Yeah. It's not a true characterization. That's probably really frustrating. I mean, that is really frustrating because you can't, you can't control that, but you do have to let that roll off because it's not true. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. So yeah, you just kind of have to distinguish between what's valid and what's not. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's good wisdom for all of us. And so that leads me <laughs> to my final, well, we have one final, final question, but my last content question. So the last, I would love for you to take that, that you just said, where you said, I disconnect and I pull offline and I have real people who speak into my lives. When you think about this first couple of months of the year, when you think about what's going on politically, how much sh- should we, we try not to should people around here very much, but how much should we be connected? How, how often do you disconnect? What are your rhythms for being offline? Like what kind of rhythms are wise to have when the world is changing at such a rapid tick right now? Yeah. And I just want to say, I want to preface this by saying, I do not have this down. If my husband's listening to this podcast, he's going to be like, should you really be the person to give people advice on this? Because I can get sucked in. He'll, I mean, so it does affect me sometimes when the news is really hard or really heavy. He'll be like, you have the social media stats. I can tell oh, you were wow. just on social media because I'll be thinking about something. I'm not necessarily yeah. sad, but I'm still thinking about it. And so I just want to preface this by saying that. I am affected just like everyone else. And I do have to discipline myself to say, okay, it's not going to be the first thing I do in the morning, or it's not going to be how I spend uh, my afternoon. It's not going to be the last thing that I do when I go to bed. Now, I do think it's so important, especially for conservatives who are feeling discouraged right now because Democrats have Congress, Democrats have the presidency. Maybe you're worried about getting censored and all of that to not retreat out of fear and to not say, and to not say, I'm not going to pay attention to what's going on because I have no power. That's not true. I think that apathy and ignorance plays into it. It it plays into your own political demise as Mm. a, as a conservative. And you need to be paying attention to what's being taught at your kid's school. You need to be paying attention to the theology that's coming at you from your pulpit. You need to be paying attention to not necessarily the nightly news. You may never need to watch cable news or scroll through social media, but you need to be at least abreast on what's going on. You need to look at the bills that are being passed in your state legislature. You need to look at the measures that are being passed in your city council. Mm -hmm. You need to look at what's happening on a federal level. Um, And you do that just kind of like by what I was talking about, try to look at a wide array of outlets. Maybe it's not every day. Maybe it's every other day. Maybe you kind of scroll through social media for a few minutes every day. Try not to inundate yourself too much with it, but stay as in the know as you can. And here's one piece of encouragement that I'll give you that I remember John MacArthur saying that really comforted me that human beings are not made to be 
omniscient. We're not made to be omnipresent. We're not made to be omnipotent. And so this world that we're in that tells us, that demands that we are everywhere at once, that we know all things at once, that we have control over all things at once, it's playing against the nature that God gave us, that the only one who is in control over all of it is God himself. And by elevating ourselves to those characteristics which God alone possesses, it puts a pressure on us that we were not made to bear. Mm -hmm. You cannot bear the burden of being everywhere, knowing everything and controlling everything. You just, you, you can't. And so release yourself from that burden. Know what you can, control what you can. And remember that God is in control and that his perfect plan of redemption is going off without a hitch. There was nothing that happened in 2020 or 2021 that hindered him even one centimeter or even one second. And so relinquish that burden and that responsibility of trying to be everything and everywhere. Know what you can know, do what you can do. Obedience to God in your life is enough. It is enough for resistance to tyranny. It's enough for seeking truth. It's enough for all of the things that you're trying and failing to find in the news and conspiracy theories inside yourself. Seeking the Lord and his word is enough. And so just just rest in that. You are made to be finite. You are made to be limited. You are made to not know everything. You're made to not help everyone. You you are made to be limited, uh, but you serve the God that is completely unlimited. And that is where our peace comes from, even when chaos is waging all around us. Yeah. Well done. You better preach, Allie Beth. Let's go, girl. (laughs) I like it. Thank you for doing this today. I am so grateful. You You are so welcome here. And uh, I'm just really thankful. Can we ask you one final question? Yes, Because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what you do for fun. What do I do for fun? Oh, my gosh. Are you having any fun right now? This is the hardest question you've asked me so far. Um, I mean, I do have fun. My family and I have a lot of fun together, but what we do for fun is probably boring. We just eat food and we read books and we watch TV. And I guess, you know, we hang out with friends. We sometimes, I mean, if we can, you know, all the Corona stuff has made things crazy. We hang out with friends how and and, right. and when we can. But my family and I, like my husband and, and I, we just enjoy being together a lot. Yeah. We really enjoy like watching a TV series together. We really enjoy eating out and food and things like that. Is it like when Mexican to, food? Do you love Mexican? Oh yeah, yes, because you're Texan. So we yes. love it. We love it. Yes. We love all kinds of food. I, I wish I could be like, oh, you know, we we rock climb and <laughs> we go bowling and I knit, but right. I really am not interesting like that. <laughs> I'm really not. So I feel like I do have fun in my life, but I'm not like particularly adventurous. And so. That's okay. That's everything you said is fun. Yeah. Tex-Mex and Netflix and hanging with a Georgia bulldog that you married is a very good decision. Sounds like a good time too. Oh, that sounds that's fun. All, that's all I ever wanted in marriage. And that's what I got. So. <laughs> Oh, thanks for doing this. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Y'all, I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful to have her on the pod with us today and to hear her perspective. Again, grab a copy of her book, You Are Not Enough, and that's okay. And make sure you give her a follow. Tell her thanks for being on the show. 
to go along with what Allie Beth said. I just I want you to hear me say that really clearly. I, this is not in opposition to what Allie Beth is talking about. They are not pitted against each other. These are two friends of ours that we get to listen to together. So to go along with what Allie Beth said, here is good friend of the show, one of my favorites, Michael Ware. Michael Ware, welcome back to the show. It is so great to be back. I I love being on this show and love talking with you, Annie. Listen, I just wish we could figure out a way to do a podcast every day together. I don't know. I just love talking to you so much. I I mean, I think we could figure it out uh, if, (laughs) yeah, let's, we'll, we'll we'll talk think through it. (laughs) Update everyone. The family's doing well. Last time you were on the show, you, your lovely wife, Melissa, y'all had zero children. Zero and children. the science we is have, now what? So she, uh, Sirsha is two years and almost oh. two months. And we, uh, I mean, gosh, yeah. So last time I was on the show, I just picked up my first <laughs> doll for her. And, uh, and now we're about to have a second in March, a second baby girl. Really excited. Melissa was like, you better get through talking with Annie without Okay, don't. I won't ask. Out. And I'm like, I can't. I can't make any- can't make any promises. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. Uh, That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're doing well. Sirsha's just an absolute joy and just incredible. I mean, she's also sure. two, so she's incredibly uh, testing boundaries. But, she's incredibly but two. That comes with it. Yeah. Yes, incredibly I mean, two. Everyone yeah, needs to follow you on social we're, just we're so they well. can see. I mean, to learn from you, of course. Number two... To see her because she's just, I mean, you and Melissa made a perfectly cute combo of both of you. She is a cartoon character. She is from the voice to the hair. It's It's, amazing. Yeah. And she's, I think she's going to be a singer. Uh, No way. She's matching pitch. She's uh, her her memory for lyrics is unbelievable. And so, you know, (laughs) as uh, objectively speaking, I think that, as a father, she, she's a brilliant singer. Objectively, she's a brilliant singer. Yeah, objectively, <laughs> just as a person observing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, I mean, she, it would make sense. What if you and her end up being some sort of duet, some sort of big band, jazzy duet? We're, we'll bring yes. jazz back. I like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You and John no, Tyson have yeah. really gotten me into jazz music, the two of you. <laughs> That's my guy. That's my guy. We, uh, yeah, no, uh, and I don't know if you know David Bisgrove in New York. No. Uh, David on staff at Redeemer. David and I, like right before COVID uh, became a thing, we went to Blue Note, a, a famous jazz club in New York. And so, so yeah, my, my my New York Christian jazz guys are all in, yeah. are all there. And <laughs> yeah, we'll, we're, we're bringing it back. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for doing this today. I'm excited to combine our conversation with the one I just had with Ali Beth Stuckey. But will you kind of start with, we're recording this the Friday before the inauguration. So I want people to know that because we have no idea what the weekend holds yeah, right. <laughs> and what the first two days of next week hold. But we recorded it as close as we could. So I guess, I, what if I had you reflect on the inauguration? How was it yesterday, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Well, Very glad peaceful. the weather held up, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. How are you feeling going into, I mean, you're very openly very pro-Biden and you've believed he was a good choice for our country next. Uh, for our friends that are listening that uh, are faith friends who also agree with you, what are the first hundred days going to look like for people of faith? What can we look forward to, whether we agree with Biden or not? What can we look forward to in his the start of his presidency? Well, I mean, Annie... As you as you uh, as you know, there are some things that we know are going to be on the agenda. You know, I, I was in the, the White House for the beginning of President Obama's term, and we we knew that there was an economic crisis that we were going to have to deal with. Uh, we knew uh, some of the items, but you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, Somali pirates uh, took over a ship, uh, which was the basis yes. of the movie Captain Phillips. <laughs> We, we we did not see pirates on the agenda, you know, for for the first right for the first year or so. Um, and so, it, it, in one way, you know, who knows? I mean, George W. Bush started his time in office pursuing bipartisan education reform with Ted Kennedy and pursuing uh, domestic programs, and then nine eleven happened, and his entire presidency changed. Um, here's what we know about the Biden presidency: He's coming in facing a series of what he calls crises from COVID to uh, climate change to racial uh, uh, injustice and and uh, conversations around that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the political disrepair that we're seeing, mm-hmm. the political animosity that we're seeing that you know, Annie, we have a track record on the show. I've spoken on the show before about the spiritual harm our politics is doing. And I always meant it as something real, like not just like yeah. some fun, but, but I, we're I seeing hope, it. I hope folks understand that, that that what we saw on January 6th is one sort of progression of mm-hmm. what we've discussed on the show over the last four years or so. Um, and that's going to be a major challenge, not just for a president like Biden, but for Republican and Democratic uh, uh, elected officials and particularly leaders. And it's, it's a lot for anyone to take on just like, you know, the presidency at any time, but that that's the burden that president-elect Biden has taken on. I've been encouraged by many of his appointments, big fan of ambassador Samantha power, who is now going to lead the agency for international development. And I think a lot of work, good work is going to happen there. I think he's put together a pretty uh, solid team. He actually just rolled out his a big COVID relief package that uh, covers mm-hmm. a broad array of you know, from vaccine dr- distribution to economic relief. And so, so I think we're going to have a packed 100 days. What's going to dictate a lot of the how it moves forward is Congress. Democrats control the House because of what happened in Georgia. Democrats will control uh, the Senate by a narrow margin, but in the Senate, as long as you have a majority, which because right. of the because of the incoming vice president, they'll have a majority. They get to dictate who's in charge of the committees. They get to dictate basically what gets brought up for a vote. But nothing is going to actually pass without bipartisan support. I mean that that that's the yeah. that, that's what's really key. Democrats are able to call more of the shots without bipartisan support, at least on the legislative side. It's going to be difficult for anything to to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, there's a lot to discuss here, but I cautiously hope that 
because of the clear scale of the problems we face and the clear dangers of this politics of just constant conflict and antagonism and sort of enemy seeking and naming, Mm -hmm. that we may have a window to do what the president-elect has called for, which is, you know, he's used a lot of different language. He's talked about lowering the temperature. What was most powerful for me is when, when he said that we should just give one another a chance. And that sort of, to me, that went beyond, that wasn't political, you know, rhetoric. That's not like, let's give each other a chance. Isn't soaring, you know, that's not going to be on a monument anytime soon. Yeah. Um, kind of should though. It, yeah. Kind of should. It might be our national model by the time we're done with this, but, um, right. but it does, it, it does, it does hit me here. And I, and I hope that we, we do give each other that opportunity. It's what's going to be necessary to c- confront a lot of the challenges that we face. That's kind of what I'm hoping we model a little bit today. But in the spirit of that, Michael, I mean, I know some of my Christian friends, and in some ways I have some real concerns about some of the stances that Biden takes. Yeah, Yeah, sure. There are people who voted a different way purely over one or two issues of where Biden is publicly stated he stands on things. Yeah. How do we get behind the rest of it? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do we get behind the rest of it when we feel like there are these big pieces that feel impossible to go around? How do we give him a chance? Yeah. So so I think that's exactly right. I don't think it would be fair to expect or request. Well, you know, he's president. Let's just not critique him at all, even when we disagree. <laughs> that's not what anyone's saying. Should uh, be good now. Yeah, okay. Christians, <laughs> especially... Well, the standard we got to have is the ability to affirm what is good and reject what is bad. That's right. And, and to do so, you know, with an awareness uh, that in a society and particularly in a political system in which political idolatry is increasingly common on both sides, there is this uh, incentive towards catastrophizing sort of sort of a one way I, I put it was treating uh, the apocalypse as a policy disagreement and treating every policy disagreement as the apocalypse. In other words, there are some things that we're going to disagree about. We could disagree about them on substance without elevating it to an existential crisis. You know, like we we live in a diverse country with people of different political views. We should, we should have those disagreements. Well, we should do so, you know, forcefully even, what we can allow that to do, especially on the outset, before antagonism has been proven, you know, before before right. people have shown that they're unwilling to sort of uh, be be reasonable or or sort of be cognizant of disagreement, like the least we could do is is treat policy disagreements as as policy disagreements, mm-hmm. like the very stuff of politics, and like let's debate that out, uh, but then also be able to find find and identify areas where we where we do agree. And so, for instance, as a part of the president-elect's plan that he just ro- ro- rolled out around COVID is um, a plan to drastically uh, or pretty significantly expand the uh, child tax credit. Mm-hmm. This is a, a bipartisan policy that's been advanced by conservative and uh, more liberal think tanks. Uh, researchers uh, uh, believe that if the policy was held over time, in other words, if it wasn't just a one-year thing, but that we 
that we kept this expansion for a period of time, that we would cut child poverty in half. Well, that's something, wow. that's something we, 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 should, we should at least be able to talk about and not say, well, I can't, I, can't give, uh, uh, I can't give Biden credit on proposing that because then I, I might give the wrong impression that I support everything he does. And Andy, you know, I, I mean, I think one of the benefits of us doing this show, to, uh, you know, uh, having this longer horizon, and I know many of your listeners have become friends of mine, is that you know that I was saying the same thing during the Trump presidency. Yes. <laughs> that, 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 that if there's good to be done, we ought to do it and not each one of us act like we're political, you know, strategists trying to manage, oh, well, if I say, if I tweet something nice about Trump or about Biden here, it may, it may allow them to sweep the country. It's like, no, you're just, we're just, we're just people here. Let's just try and be honest <laughs> and, and try and, uh, try and deal with reality as it is. Yeah. I like that sentence. Call a good thing, a good thing, call a bad thing, a bad thing. Like yeah. if we see someone say on Twitter that a good thing is a good thing, it doesn't mean they agree with everything along those party lines. It's very funny because I don't know any of us that agree with everything in the party we identify with. And yet we assume everyone else agrees with everything the, the party they identify with it. Right. No, none of us wants to be put in a box, but we're very comfortable putting everybody right. else in a box. Yeah, right. Yeah. No one is. No one is just as particular as I am. <laughs> you right. Know, no one is much of an individual as I am. That's right. <laughs> you know, I am else. the most nuanced of us all. The rest yeah. of them are very polarized. And Annie, as a four, I struggle with that, <laughs> but I've had to resist. <laughs> You, more than any of us, Michael, you truly are. And I think that's what's good about you and Allie Beth is even neither of y'all are are 100% for everything your party says that you have identified with. Yeah. And so we need, people need to be given permission to cheer for what's good. Yeah. And we may have talked about this this before, but that's not what parties are for. Uh, But we've allowed parties to act as if they're these identity statements when really parties are all about mediating difference, not erasing it. Mm. Like the whole point of a political party is about mediating between various factions and kinds of people. What, what a, what a vision for politics can look like with, with the understanding that under that umbrella are people who disagree completely. Uh, I mean, that's the history of political parties. But we live in such like an entertainment brandy culture that people are treating political parties as if they're this kind of perfect self-expression. I'm a Democrat. That means this, this, and this. And it's like actually living out your values actually entails more than just checking the right box on mm. the voter registration ticket. You know, like, yes. like, like actually you're not accomplishing everything you think you are just by identifying with the quote unquote, you know, right party or cause. Yeah. Right. So that brings me to one of our questions from our friends that the, on the AFD week in review email that submitted for you is uh, our friend Jen said, how do you manage and cope and set boundaries with people who accuse you of being unbiblical or not doing gospel work because they don't agree with you politically? Yeah. I mean, right. So generally, you know, speaking, you know, sometimes this comes from um, a good place. Sometimes it comes from a, a, a lack of understanding. Sometimes it comes from just the kind of antagonism that we've spoken about. I, I would tell folks to resist kind of religious manipulation in that kind of way. That's good. Relib- that, religious manipulation. That's good. I mean, that, that, uh, so often. And again, there are different scenarios. You know, it, it's one thing if 
this is someone on Facebook wall. It's another thing if it's your pastor. <laughs> you know, you might want to listen. Right. You might want to listen to that and, and take that right. seriously. If if someone close to you in your life is speaking into your life in this way, you might want to listen to that. But so right. often, it's these kind of detached people who just fire out these declarations. And I know a lot of sensitive people in my life. I'm a sensitive person. Uh, you you can really take more seriously, uh, take those kinds of comments more seriously than they, they often they often deserve. I mean, the, the main thing to, is to have people that you trust in your life that are able to check you. And, and, and when, when, you, when you have those kinds of accountability structures, when you're making sure that when you're thinking about politics, when you're thinking about news, when you're thinking about current events, that you're exposed to different sources of opinion and, and people who think differently than you do, when you have those things in place, uh, then uh, you can have some level of comfort or assurance so that every sort of naysayer and every sort of person who comes into your life, you can say, well, actually, I feel, I feel relatively good about the, the, the people who I've actually granted permission to hold me accountable on these things rather than you who's reading a Facebook post and thinking that you... I have sort of authority to speak into my life in that way. So I, I just, we, we want to be open to criticism, but but I, I'm also wary of the kind of religious manipulation and bullying that, that actually is a form, Annie, of, of political idolatry. It's a sense that, oh, if you hold this political view, um, th- then then actually, like, you, you um, that overrides whatever faith you might have. When it's actually the politics that's prudential and the faith that's ultimate, and we need to keep yes. that up. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Michael to tell you about one of our incredible partners, Nutrafol. I was truly surprised when I learned that 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you're among them, I want you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver results. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. And there are many like raving that the supplement not only transformed their hair, but restored their confidence too. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding. No matter your stage in life, Nutrafol has a solution. There's Nutrafol Women, which is ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, hello, dieting, overstyling, and environmental toxins, while Women's Balance is formulated with additional hormone support for those with thinning hair through menopause. I hate to break it to you, but as with most good things, healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. And in fact, in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. So like by the time we're all at the pool, you guys, you can tell a difference in your hair growth. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair, and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code SOUNDSFUN, and new customers will get 20% off. This is their best offer available anywhere, you guys, plus free shipping on every order. Okay, so get 20% off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and the promo code is SOUNDSFUN. And now back to finish our conversation with Michael. Okay, so that you're doing a beautiful job just leading me from question to question, Michael. Where January 6th 
is a day I, I don't know that any of us in America will forget for a very long time of what yeah. we saw happen yeah, at the Capitol. Yeah, I agree. And one of our friends said, how do we respond with faith in the wake of this domestic terrorism, which I am 100 percent agreement and labeling yeah. it that, that that was terrorist behavior. But there were a lot of Jesus save signs <laughs> and there were a lot of uh, white supremacy. I mean, there was a guy who had on like a Camp Auschwitz T-shirt. Yeah. That is so demonic. Like, what do we do when it maybe feels like to some of our friends that churches perpetuate this in some ways. My, I don't think my church does. I don't, I think there's a lot of pastors who are doing this really well, but there are some that, that it just feels like we don't know what to do as faith people. Cause I'll tell you the other thing. Sorry. I don't like to ask four questions at one time, but I often hear my friends of color saying white people go get your people. Yeah, Like right. it's your turn to, to, to help your neighbors and friends do better. Yeah. How do we do that in this scenario? Because it does feel like an opportunity as faith people to step in. Yeah. So, so there's there's a there's a lot there, Annie. Um, I know. Sorry, I don't mean to do that to you. No, no, no. It's it's all good, and and I I do think it all it all is tied together. You know, I have mixed sort of feelings and approaches to this, but my primary one is we just can't get caught in constant reaction to some of the worst actors out there. I yes. mean, so I. There's value in, in, again, calling out bad, what's misrepresentative, what's not true. That's important. What's also important is that we don't become so consumed with constantly saying what we're not and, and what's a lie that we forget to talk about what the truth is. Mm. <laughs> that we forget to talk about what we're seeing in the churches where we are and yeah. with the believers where we are. And, uh, you know, I, I, I go to, you know, we, we've been... My church has been praying for this country. My church has been, I, I think we have, we have folks in our community who are agents of peace, not, 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 a, not a false peace, not, a, not, a, not cheap grace here, but, but, but folks who are actually doing the work, not just kind of yeah. tweeting about things. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I'm talking about that. I want to make sure that I'm talking about the, the fact that I believe Jesus has much more to contribute <laughs> to the problems that we face than sort of these charlatans have in undermining it. And so yeah. I want to, I want to hold those two things together and not allow sort of my perspective about Christianity, about my faith, about the church to be dictated by these same, you know, I'm, I'm I don't want to name, you know, you, you can only call out these same five people, uh, 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 not speaking about January 6th, but, you know, we're always talking about the same five same. people. <laughs> and, and yeah. I, I'm ready, you know, and, and uh, yes, let's, let's, again, I'm not saying let's overlook the bad, but, but how about we lift up the, the good examples? <laughs> you know, how about we lift up mm. what's true? Um, and so, so that would be, That'll be my advice. When your friends reach out to you and say, you know, how could you be associated with it? Say, I'm associated. <laughs> I'm associated with Jesus Christ, <laughs> who, who, right. who said to love your enemies, not who scolded his his friend Peter for cutting off the ear. Uh, didn't didn't root him on. Wasn't 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 uh, uh wasn't wasn't cheering on violence. Um, right. And so that's why I'd like to see, especially from young from young people. And I think it's what young people need to see. If we're, if we're constantly talking about all the ways in which sort of Christianity has been misused, but but missing the opportunity 
talk about the fact that there is a reality there and that there is a, there is a, a true beauty to the true faith, then all of all our young people are hearing is about all the ways that they could go wrong and not hearing anything about the possibility of faithfulness, which is, I think, yeah. what, what, what we really want people to grab a hold of. Yeah. I I think that there's so much, you and I have talked about this in, in real life, but there's so much power when people get around a table and have a conversation, but you and I can't go to all the tables. That's right. Yeah. But our friends listening can share this conversation and we'll help them start the conversation at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we no, that, we just need to. That's how. That's the only way I think this these conversations continue is if we have them in our lives. Yeah, I, I think obviously you know my vocation is oriented sort of nationally, but one of the most important things our nation needs are people who are involved locally. <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. are are people who are actually providing examples of how in real life in real community people of difference can live together and support one another and love one another, uh, even in the midst of difference. Uh, because without that at the local level, we'll never get the national side right. Because because yes. the, on the national side, they're taking their cues from what's happening at the local level. And I have to say, so many of the cues that they've been getting have not been good ones. <laughs> um, and so the ability to actually do the work on the ground and then find ways to, to lift it up and share the possibility uh, is just really important. What did you think after January 6th about the Constitution and uh, our government's strength? And uh, like, kind of what was your takeaway after that day? You know, I, on the positive side, I, I watched the Senate reconvene. Yeah. And you saw all, you know, there may have been a couple who, who weren't, but, you know, basically the entire Senate reconvened at, you know, midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. And, you know, typically for those who don't, <laughs> for those who don't, you know, watch C-SPAN in their free time, uh, <laughs> what's, what's uh, happened over the last several decades is senators give speeches on the floor of the Senate with none of their colleagues there. They're basically talking to a camera, talking to, uh, trying to get, 10 seconds on cable news and then send a message to their donors. What happened on the night of January 6th is they were all convened together and they, they were listening to one another. You yeah. could, you could tell that there was a sense of obligation and community and a sense of public service that frankly has been greatly undermined in our politics lately. And so I watched that and I was moved. I, I saw the best of the Senate from Senator Mitt Romney, Senator Pat Toomey, Senator uh, Gene Shaheen from New Hampshire, Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado, uh, step up and pro provide some leadership. We should be able to rouse that sense of public service without seeing everything fall to pieces, though. Yes. We, yes we, we, we should be able to understand that politics is not a game before people get killed on the doorsteps of the, of the Capitol. And so, you know, I don't want to, like, it's really important not to turn what happened on, on January 6th into like a metaphor, like, like, Oh, like it, it, sure. it, you know, it'll open our eyes, you know, like, like the reality of what happened is, is just there. There are people who, who couldn't go home to their, their families. There are, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read the, you know, there's a senator who was a, a war veteran and is in a wheelchair who was huddled, a, a sitting United States senator huddled in her office, concerned that she was going to be 
taken out of her wheelchair, helpless, and dragged around the Capitol. I, I mean, not to mention the sta- not to mention the the Hill staffers, not to mention the law enforcement folks who had no yeah. political investment in this at all. They were just doing their job, right. the maintenance staff. I, I've said this before, but you know. The problem is not that we take politics too seriously, but that we take it seriously in all the wrong ways. And so the Mm -hmm. lesson that folks shouldn't take from this is like, oh, look how bad politics can get. I don't want any piece of it. No, the lesson is this is what happens when you view politics uh, as a forum for self-expression and as a forum for all your tribal sort of animosities. And forget that politics is about public service. That actually, Mm -hmm. if, if you have animosities and and hatreds and and even to a certain extent, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, affections and sort of uh, like politics isn't isn't the place for all of it. <laughs> uh, politics right. is about governance and public service. And if you're bringing all this stuff to politics and trusting politics to work it out, uh, a you're going to be disappointed. B you're really misusing politics mm. and C because you're misusing politics you're failing to allow politics to do what it ought to do and keeping it from doing what it's not supposed to do and that's what we saw on January 6 um in in a sort of philosophical sense we saw a whole bunch of people were were living out a whole range of animosities and hatreds and channeling all of that through a political process that that really isn't isn't meant to uh, certainly isn't isn't meant to be the the forum for that to play out. I saw a video of a House member and a representative, and she was giving a tour of her new office to her constituents. Like it was a video for them. And she said, here's your new desk and here's your new office. And we've moved everything in, but this is yours. I just work here. And I thought, I, it has been so long since I heard a politician kind of remind me that this is that they represent me. Like I can right. in days when the when they aren't concerned for their safety, I can call my Tennessee representative and get a tour because they they work for me. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. No, they represent exactly, me. Exactly right. Yeah, no, exactly right. And there's there's an accountability there on both sides, right? Yes, yes. They ought to feel that accountability for those who voted for them and those who didn't vote for them. And then we as citizens ought to feel that accountability, understanding that, yes, they're accountable to us, but they're not accountable just to us. Yes. That actually our politics is not. Yes, we, we should we should advocate for ourselves and our interests, but but we should we we should also understand that we live in a community. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that we ought to be pursuing the best for our community, not just sort of hoping to see a our elected officials say exactly what we want them to say and take on exactly the battles we we want them to take yes. on. Your book, Reclaiming Hope, uh, all about your time in the White House. So let's talk about hope as our, this will be the last question besides you know the last question that's coming. When you look forward, <laughs> kind of help us. Some of our friends listening feel tons of hope because this is exactly what they wanted to have happen The after the inauguration. This was how they voted. This is their they feel victorious in a lot of ways, not all the ways, but in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, Some of our friends listening feel like they have no hope because now they don't have a voice and now they are concerned that things weren't handled as they should have been in the transition. And so reclaim hope for us here. What is hope for all of us going into this new administration? Yeah. Look, so at, at a, at one level, it makes sense for our outlook on things to be informed by, 
some of the structural pieces we come, you know, in place. If we have certain political policy preferences and more people who agree with us are in power than are not, then we may feel more positively that the kinds of things we want to see happen would happen. But at, on another level, and this level is just as real, it, it's it's amazing what God can do in circumstances and with arrangements which we, we may be slow to see opportunity in and mm, possibility in. Mm. And so for for Christians, part of what being hopeful means is being constantly looking out for possibilities for how God might work in any circumstance. Mm. And I, I'd say for both those who feel emboldened or relieved or whatever, you know, positively about the current political arrangement, you're, you're going to face disappointments yeah. in the next four years, in the next two years. Like, just be, be aware of that. And then for those who feel on the outs, there is possibility in this moment that maybe didn't even exist mm. six months ago, a year ago. Wow. You, your, your service is needed. At the end of the day, our, our politicians are still responding to us mm-hmm. as people. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that within our power, we are giving them good incentives to respond to mm-hmm. and, and not bad, bad ones. Yeah. And so I, I just urge people that this is not a time to withdraw. This is not a time to, um, you know, w- one thing I'm concerned about, and I'm glad we have a last question that's a little more le- uplifting. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, one, one thing I'm concerned about is, um, you know, I, I get this. I get this sense among there's going to be a, a desire to sort of reset things to a more, frankly, like a more petty politics, mm. and that there's going to be a quickness to sort of take offense when things happen that we don't like. And I would just urge people to say, like, you actually don't need to take offense at everything that might be worthy of offense. You know, like there, there are things that you can overlook and give a, choose to take, uh, give the benefit of the doubt or take a, take a positive interpretation. Because here's the thing. If we go to politics looking to take offense, you will find reasons to take offense. The problem is that if that is the, the fuel that our politics runs on, it's just impossible for us to live together. Yes. I mean, cause our, our, we, we have a Congress of 530 something members, one of them is going to be saying something you disagree that's with. Right. Um, and if that's who, you, who you're who you choosing to talk about, if that's who you want to say, oh, that's how, that's who all Democrats are, that's who all Republicans are, you, you could do that. What what you're doing, though, is you're putting focus and attention and, and really giving resources, attention is a resource, giving resources to the very people that you say you don't want to be yes. dictating the course of our politics. So I would urge Christians in particular not saying to let everything pass. I'm not saying to not, again, as we've discussed, you got part of citizenship is speaking up when you think things are going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. But but you could also, again, make sure that you're putting a spotlight. You're, you're giving the resource of your attention to that which you think is worth doing more of, not just that which you want to see less of. Yes. I, I find I think we're all probably paying a little closer attention than we were a year ago, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And I found myself listening to politicians say things that are, you know, a house rep in a state I do not live in. And I find myself getting worked up and then I, and I have to choose that. Like, am I actually going to give my attention to this? And could I instead figure out how my Tennessee people are voting or can I walk away from this? Can I just walk away from this? 
especially if it has nothing to nothing to do with literally, uh, Michael, with affecting any yes. anybody. Yes, you know, comment on a radio show. It's not about who's voting for who. Yes. It's just some silly thing yes. that, that people don't deserve attention for. Agreed. <laughs> you know? that's uh, a, that, yeah. I think that's a good wisdom for us to hold on to besides giving each other a chance is manage yeah. your attention as a resource. And do yes. not do yes. not waste yes. that resource because you do not get more than 24 hours a day worth of your attention to put, put somewhere. Absolutely. That's it. Do not yeah, waste. Your, okay. Right. You're the most wonderful. We adore you here. The last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun, I'll never forget your first answer being water parks. (laughs) Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, what are y'all doing for fun these days in Baltimore? I mean, (laughs) Annie, it's hard. I I know. (laughs) My my wife's 30 weeks pregnant. I'm not allowed to go out anywhere because I'll bring back COVID. Right. Uh, (laughs) You know, here's here's what I could say. Uh, Searsha will on command say go Buffalo Bills oh. and my and my Buffalo Bills are in the playoffs. And so I only care because of you. I need you to know that my allegiance to you guys as a family that I love is that I'm cheering for the Bills. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we may not be in the playoffs by the time this oh. episode airs. Won't that be hard to <laughs> but, know? But we, we've been, we've been enjoying this ride as a, as a family. It's been, it's been fun. Okay. So a friend of mine also from Buffalo was saying just today on her Instagram that she's going to make this food this weekend. I want you to tell me if you know what she's talking about. She's like, we're going to do it in honor of this restaurant called Barbell Tavern. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, yeah. she's going to make beef on weck. <laughs> yeah. What, what does that mean? Have you never had, have you never had beef on weck? I've never even, I, that could be a city in England for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a roast beef sandwich on a, on a Kimmelwick roll. So, uh, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a Buffalo delicacy. It, how about this? The bills win the Super Bowl. I'll send you a half dozen beef on one. <laughs> okay. Okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. received. Just received. I don't have an <laughs> offer back to you. I'll just receive that. Go Bills. We're all yeah. very Go Bills now. Michael, thank you for making time. We really appreciate yeah, it. Good to be with you. Thanks, Sam. Friends, isn't he the best? Listen, I you've got to go follow him on social media. Tell him thank you for being on the show and check out his daughter. She's perfect. She's perfect. And make sure you grab a copy of his book, Reclaiming Hope. It is such an interesting read, and I would say very timely for what we are experiencing and learning and growing in our knowledge of politics and experiencing that together. Both of these guests were very generous to us today, y'all. So even if you disagree with some or all of what they believe, we can be grateful that they made time and that they were kind. They were kind. And I am really, really grateful and proud to call them both friends. Make sure you're following them both. Tell them thanks for being on the show today if you get a chance. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I'm Annie F. Downs, TSF, like that sounds fun, on YouTube. And I think that's it for me today, friends. What a week. What a week. I hope you are staying well, staying safe, and getting rest. Thank you again to Dr. Tony Evans, to Scott Sauls, to Allie Beth Stuckey, and to Michael Ware for being a part of this special week for us. 
So friends, go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you. Please, please do something that sounds fun to you. And I will do the same. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you back here on Monday with one of our favorite dudes and a great football player, even if he played for Florida, our friend Tim Tebow. We'll see you all on Monday.